0: Welcome to the Equipping Webinar, where we connect discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life.
1: Welcome to the April 2017 version of the Equipping Webinar. My name is Nathan, and I'm the Director of Equipping and Apologetics here at Watermark Community Church, and to my left is the Sometimes I say infamous, but you're not. You're famous. Well, I'm notorious. Uh, yeah. No, notorious, yeah. Notorious, yeah,
0: yeah. It's a little villainy in me. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Nyka no Spaulding, Director of Women's Equipping and Curriculum. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about our, our guest panelists today. And then I'm actually staring at the... Um, what do I call you? Benevolent? Maybe oh, radiant wow. yeah, resplendent. Oh, keep going. <laughs> I, I won't Bateman? Even stop yeah. You. So Sylvia Bateman, what would you like to call yourself your title if you have oh one of those? Oh goodness. Yeah. I think benevolent would be yeah, would that, be nice. That's, that's a high nice. call. I don't know if I feel that yeah. completely,
2: but I do help with stewardship around here. Things like money wise. I think I see a couple attendees in the audience that go, have taken yeah. money wise. All right. So that's all I'm talking about yeah, all part of the same team, quipping team. Cool. I'm glad to be here, and I will be looking forward to answering your questions and getting to interrupt Nathan and Nika.
1: That's right. <laughs> That's always her favorite part of this. <laughs> well, hey, today we we have a uh, just a special treat. When I was uh, 21 years old in college, I took a biblical backgrounds and life of Christ class. Um, I was a biblical studies major at my university, and uh, a friend of mine, one actually one of my accountability partners, bought me the book "The Jesus I Never Knew" by Philip Yancey, and uh, I've read through that, and man, the, the Lord used that in my life in a really powerful way uh, to just whet an appetite that really has only gotten stronger over the years um, for the historical Jesus, for understanding Jesus in his context, to know him as accurately as we can, and then obviously... And for as,
0: Philip Yancy books. Yeah, what and, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I did.
1: Yeah, I've read uh, quite a few of, of his books, but we're privileged today to have Philip on the call with us. So Philip is a... A uh, obviously a best-selling author and a speaker and uh, is a new friend. So Philip, welcome to the webinar, man. Thank
3: you very much. Look forward
1: to it, guys. I think we're just going to launch off one by recommending the Jesus I Never Knew. If you haven't read this book, the thing I, the thing I tell people about it is that if reading on the life of Jesus is something that you've never launched into, then this is a great introductory book to do that. So. The great thing about Philip's writing style is it's very it's very personal. It's inter, it's, it's interactive. Um, you feel like when you read his his books that you're you're really interacting with a friend, you know, and uh, and so uh, would encourage you to pick that up. But Philip, why don't you and, and you actually say and, and you tell some of your story in some of your books. But why don't you take a few minutes now and just help us understand why did you write a book like this? Uh, how did your image of Jesus form over the years, and what was the context that that came out of?
3: Sure, and I thank you for that introduction. I I'm a journalist, and what we journalists do is we take complex topics that we really don't know anything about, and we <laughs> and we represent we represent the reader by walking them through and yeah. and coming to terms with them. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not experts; we're generalists. Mm-hmm. And um, ha- however, I guess if uh, if there's one area I was an expert in, it was it was the Bible growing up. I was in one of these old-fashioned kind of fundamentalist, angry, legalistic, racist churches in the South. I hope there aren't too many of them left like that. But uh, just to put us on the map, uh, you may have heard of Bob Jones University. We were just to the right of Bob Jones University. Hey. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and,
2: yeah.
3: uh, and we thought, we thought Southern Baptists <laughs> were the liberals, you know. Wow. So. Got yeah. it. So... I, as I thought about even in this morning preparation, knowing we we're going to be talking about this, I thought I, I came away with a pretty clean image of Jesus because my church was a, basically an Old Testament church. They liked the God of judgment and ferocity and violence. And and that's why we we heard it was kind of a fear-based religion. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, we didn't, the church really didn't know what to do with. Uh, the phrase I used in in the book was that, he came across as something like Mister Rogers with a beard. You know? <laughs> now, boys and girls, let's gather around. You know? But <laughs> so we didn't take him that seriously um, because he didn't he didn't fit that uh, that mold of uh, this control oriented, fear based religion that that shaped us. So, as a journalist and as a as a personal pilgrim, my writing has been a way of going back and reclaiming what is worth reclaiming. And mm-hmm. I, I likened it to picking, picking up stones, the stones that I was given, scrubbing them off and finding out what, what was the truth here.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so that title, The Jesus I Never Knew, is accurate because I didn't know this Jesus and at a certain point in my faith when I had made a commitment And I realized that church was not absolute truth There are other ways of looking at the gospel is actually good news. I wanted to know Jesus I wanted to know what he was like, so I started that quest and and the book resulted from that.
0: Yeah. love that. I, I think, yeah, I think this concept of, of image of Jesus is so critical because I, I think sometimes, sadly, you might get, you might get 10 believers in a room and ask them, what's Jesus like? And if, you might get 10 different answers. And so Nate, why don't I just kick it over to you and talk about just this concept of imaging Jesus. You're, you're writing your doctoral paper on it. So I assume that means, you know, something about it. Well, so, no, yeah. that means,
1: that means I, I, education is learning what you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh yeah, no. The more you dive into this, the more you realize how much you need to learn. But I do think uh, that's why I laughed so laughed with you, uh, Philip, because I remember in Vacation Bible, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Um, was he was th- he
0: was liberal. Oh, one of those liberals. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was one
1: of those liberals you were yeah. scoffing at. Yeah, um, but. But, uh, I remember in like vacation Bible school as a kid, um, uh, to me, it was like felt board Jesus, you mm-hmm. know, it was like the, it
2: mm-hmm. would
1: put the images of Jesus and, the. Uh, you know, that he was normally, typically he was holding like a sheep and like petting it or you don't know what, what, you know, in the world, right, sure. and his disciples that are around him and, and more often than not the felt board thing, as you're a kid, it was almost like in my mind, I would time to see how long it would take the felt board Jesus to like Flop off the board, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right.
0: Stronger velcro and, uh, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't in the budget.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then a church uh, a few years ago, a church did a series of videos on Jesus that kind of captured what I think a lot of people think about when they think about Jesus. And it was definitely a parody of Jesus mm. goes around his disciples and I saw you smoking, you know, and <laughs> I can't, yeah, right. I can't say what you did because, well, I'm Jesus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's the way that, um, I think that's the way that that a lot of people think about him. And so when, when you think about imaging Jesus, you have this idea that if you're a linebacker, like I played football, you know, and that was kind of my image of Jesus for a while. Like, Hey, if Jesus is going to play football, he's going to he's going to knock everybody on their butt, you know, kind of that. <laughs> and or if Jesus uh, played basketball, or if he if, if he's was an, an artist, artist or, or yeah, if, right. if uh, right. you know he played the cello, he, he then, tends to just um,
0: look like us. He totally does, yeah. yeah.
1: And that's that I think is the is the part of it when we image Jesus that that is so dangerous for us because we end up um, shaping this idea of Jesus in our minds that's just not true to. The historical Jesus. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. um, how how have you seen that in your life? And then what are some of those common ways that, that uh, you see people get it wrong?
3: One of the reasons I think people do get it wrong is that is that Jesus speaks differently to different audiences. There was this phrase floating around a few years ago called, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And there's something very true about that phrase. If you just read through the Gospels, if a person is hurting, a widow's just lost her son, mm-hmm. even a Roman soldier whose servant is ill, you know, anybody who's hurting, a person with leprosy, a person whose legs don't work, you'll never find anybody more compassionate, more understanding, and with the supernatural ability to solve that problem. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's something about that compassionate Jesus which is really true. On the other hand, if he's dealing with hypocrites mm-hmm. or oppressors, you're never going to find anybody fiercer. I, just the other day, I was reading Matthew 23, where he unloads against yeah. the Pharisees. Yeah. And I mean, it is a bunch of snakes, you, you're a whitewashed gravestone, you know, he just, he just let them have it. Yeah. And of course, these are the, the pious people of his day. This is a religious establishment. But there's that aspect of Jesus where he speaks to the, to the needy with what they need. Mm-hmm. And he speaks to the people who don't acknowledge the need and exposes that need. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about that in terms of grace, that grace is a free gift of God. You can't do anything to earn it, to deserve it. But to receive a gift, you have to have your hands open. Yeah. And the people who were deeply needy, sinners, sinners, uh, those who needed healing or whatever, had their hands open. Mm. It was the religious people who had their hands closed tight like a fist. Yeah. And grace would just fall to the ground. They'd never receive it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that when I think about those types of things, you there is that balance of both comfort for the afflicted. I mean, you see this in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor yes. spirit. Right. Theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven, uh, kingdom of God. And, and, uh, and yet at the same time, I think that sometimes people can read stuff like that. And, and then if their image of Jesus is something that where they've constructed an image of Jesus that's made in their own image, then there can be a comfort level there for them that can be a false security. Mm. Where someone is, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus is kind of OK with what, whatever. And that's where that other balance, the the balancing act there of Jesus, who's going, you know, hey, no, I'm, I'm not OK with that. And I know for me and the idols that we hold on to in our life that keep us from transformation, like Jesus is out to kill those things. And so I, I tell people on a pretty consistent basis and I tell myself this um, probably less often than I should. But is that, hey, if your image of Jesus is not pressing in on you in some way. Sure. To um, to keep you dependent on him, um, with the realization that you know your your image of Jesus is not perfect, then then I think you you may be thinking about the wrong Jesus. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: I think Philip, if I if I could summarize and make sure, because I think what you're saying is really profound. That so many times people people describe Jesus and they say, well, he's like this, and I think what I'm hearing you saying is he's like that in certain contexts. That I think it's really important. Um, You know, it's sort of like Jesus flipping over the tables. And so somebody thinks that it's appropriate to do that in front of a hurting person. And you kind of go, well, hold on. I think I think what you're saying is the context really, really determines how we see Jesus interacting with folks.
3: That's right. One way I express it. uh, If you could see me, I'll give you the visuals here. But he presses the ideals so high. You know, every religion has ideals. This is how you should behave. Jesus comes in and pushes them into the stratosphere, yeah. <laughs>
2: um,
3: you know, okay, you don't murder. Do you ever get angry with someone? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't commit adultery. Have you ever lusted? You know, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And you read these things, you think, Oh man, nobody's going to make that. And yeah. Of course, that's his point. That's the point. You don't <laughs> You don't get God's grace by being perfect. I mean, if you, if you are perfect, I suppose you could, but no one ever is. So, mm. but at the same time, he gives the safety net of grace. And in fact, all of his parables, so mm-hmm. many of his, his contacts with people, they're with the losers. The parables always have the wrong person, the person, the prodigal son, you know, the good Samaritan, not the good Jew. Mm-hmm. And he shows us that no matter what you've done, either denying him three times like Peter did, or adultery and murder like King David did, you know, no matter what you've done, god 's grace is deeper still, God can mm-hmm. indeed redeem you and put you back on the path so it's not something we do. the ideals are unattainable yeah, yeah
0: that's and good. that's
3: the point, yes. but there's another way, and that's the way he came to show us
0: I love that so let's let's just take Jesus out of the his historical context and let's move him two thousand years forward and plop him here and in our context would be Dallas your context Colorado but what do you you think are some of the things we would have noticed about Jesus? Like what are the things that I, that they probably noticed then, but what are some of those characteristics that you think would really stand out to people? Obviously grace. I mean, that's what we're hearing you say, but what would you add to that?
3: There's a a pendulum that goes back and forth throughout Christian history between evangelism and social justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you look at Jesus, Man, he's, he's both and, you know, yeah. there are parts where he says, what is the property if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You know, that's the most important thing. And he's very clear about um, that, that he came to prepare us for a long life, an eternal life. And, and in some ways, this world is just a, an intro, a preview of that. And Then, of course, Jesus does address actual conditions on earth. And we're not here just to, to get through We are here to thrive and we are here especially to help The oppressed thrive and the marginalized we're supposed to reach out to them The kingdom of God the kingdom of God That's this message over and over and I think that's uh, That's where we go wrong most commonly. I was raised in churches that it was all about getting saved so you can get to heaven yeah and i mean the whole purpose of life is just to grit your teeth and get it over with so you can start heaven you know yeah. okay. people <laughs> well, don't that's not jesus, don't.
0: It's jesus. Yeah. and you're like well yeah. they, they yeah. need to eat <laughs> they need yeah to right eat. right yeah right
3: i mean there's an element of truth there yes it's important jesus does say what does the property begin to but lose your soul at the other end though a lot of his stories are just ordinary activities Uh, Look at the Lord's prayer, you know, give us this day our daily bread Mm -hmm. Uh, may God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven and uh, Depends on where you are in the country and and what what part of the faith you're connected to which where that pendulum falls right now but there are some people who think it's all about social justice? You know, it's just bringing the kingdom, by well, that doesn't really work. Jesus yep. was also about transforming lives. Yeah. And there are some people who say, no, it's only about transforming lives. It's this private get saved. Well, no, that's not Jesus either. His whole message was about the kingdom of God. So you got to have both. I think people often do get get that wrong.
1: There's a material aspect to it and an immaterial aspect to it. The gospel gets reduced down to. God is holy, you're a sinner, stop being a sinner, ask Jesus into your heart so you can go to heaven when you die, you know. Yes. And and so there there definitely is an immaterial aspect to our experience that is our will, our soul, our spirit. I think the uh, the great spirituals, many of
3: which were written by slaves and, and truly oppressed people, mm-hmm. express that if if you are a slave on a cotton field in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. You know, your life on this earth is always going to be yep. pretty bad. you know. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really important to think about there's going to be justice someday. God's going to give me something uh, to make all of this worthwhile and these beautiful spirituals that came out of that period. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, there's the call to the rest of us we got to stop this kind of injustice. You know, we got to get people right. out of that. So it's important
1: to have both at the same time. Yeah, and that's the material aspect of it is I see this in the Gospels when Jesus is saying, hey, even in, in his statement, I am the bread of life. What did he do right before he said that? He feeds them. He mm-hmm. F- mm-hmm. a bunch of bread. bread. You know? What did he do when, when he goes to uh, raise Lazarus from the dead? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that's in, in your book, Phil, you, you talk about the uh, signposts, you know, uh, um, the miracles serve as these signs for the person who's paying attention. And that's the miracle of the incarnation is that the God of the universe ma- materially becomes a man, you know. And, yes, right, and you, right. you touch him, you interact with him, you, his disciples hugged him and, and you know, ate with ate him. With him, him. Yeah. And, and that's the aspect of, of it that I think when you talk, start talking about the fullness of the kingdom of God then you have to talk about it in both terms, that there is this immaterial aspect that whereby Jesus is looking past the religious leaders and the Pharisees and Caiaphas, even who's examining him to the power behind them to defeat his enemy. So that he can, like Romans 8 says, redeem all of creation and raise us from right. the dead. And so to, right. to have that fuller doctrine of salvation that mm-hmm. he's saving us both immaterially and materially, your your body will, will be renewed. Creation will be renewed. The oppressors will go away. Things will be uh, restored. Yeah, so.
0: It sounds like and I love what you guys are saying. I mean, it sounds like kind of what I'm taking away from this is anytime somebody tries to put Jesus in a very square, clean, neat box of this is what he always does, I think that you start to venture into maybe more dangerous waters of there's nuance here in terms yeah. of um, if you're the oppressor, hey, there's there's a real act of social justice here that you need to understand. And then if you're the oppressed, like, there's a real uh, mercy and grace and comfort that that's coming your way. And I, I think that's some of Uh, Anytime you hear somebody's image of Jesus and it's so one-dimensional, you kind of start going, "Ah, I think you need to keep reading. What's crazy Mm
1: -hmm. is if you pay attention to history, we're talking about oppressors and oppression. The people who are oppressed when they finally come out from under that oppression, they become oppressors mm. unless mm-hmm. there's an intervention by Christ. Yeah. And and so there's that you're dealing with a human nature. It's it's uh, and I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying let's lift the oppression and also transform the human heart, you know, and, mm-hmm. and those things are not independent of one another.
0: Yeah. yeah you guys are hitting that something. I, I was reading through Matthew, my quiet times at the beginning of the year and, uh, I think in every margin on my Bible, I just have one arrow going up, one arrow going down, one arrow going down. Up, <laughs> this upside down world and right side up kingdom of God, upside down world we live in, or however you want to say it. It just, yeah, um, it's so different than um, it's challenging. You know, I mean, as you're, as you're talking, I mean, there's parts of Jesus, the true Jesus, that we encounter in scriptures that is challenging and comforting, mm-hmm. and challenging mm-hmm. and comforting. Yeah, and cha- yeah. you know and, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: I love the juxtaposition in uh, Luke chapter 18. Jesus is going through Jericho, and there are two encounters there. One is with a very oppressed person, it's a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, and the other was with an oppressor, Zacchaeus. And what we learned about Zacchaeus in Sunday school is that he's a wee little man, right? Very short. <laughs> yeah. but, but actually, I think the reason he was up in a tree was not to improve his view is because that was the safest place for him. He was an oppressor <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> he would get lynched, you know. But uh, watch how Jesus deals. He always responds with mercy and compassion to the oppressed. And then to the oppressor, he shocks everybody by saying, can I come to your house for dinner? Yeah. He treats him like a human being. He transforms them. And by the end of that dinner, Zacchaeus is taking out loans to pay back all the people he's cheated over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful combination of those two all at once.
0: That's that's good news. So let's keep Jesus here then in in the 2017. Uh, And let's just talk about how do you think Jesus, based on your studies and, you know, obviously in a relationship with him, so you know Jesus, but how would he respond to our current cultural situation? So I I think this is a great time for us to, um, if you're listening at home, Philip Yancey's written this book on Vanishing Grace. And I think it's a really apropos book for just the political climate that we found ourselves in, in this country. And and just the premise of the book is just the title gives it away, and I'll let Philip describe it. But just, Philip, what, what would you like to speak to that? Of? Just how would Jesus, in this current cultural situation, navigate some of these choppy waters that we find ourselves in?
3: Well, it is a little odd when you immerse yourself in the life of Jesus and then come to contemporary Christianity. Because if you read the the media or looked at the media, you would think evangelicals are a lobby group, a Washington DC lobby group. You know that's how we're cast. And and some of them are acting like that. Well, because I'm a journalist, I get to travel around the world and the the irony is that in other places like New Zealand, for example, or or even the UK, the more conservative you are as a Christian, the more liberal you are politically.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: in New Zealand, a lot of the strong evangelicals, or would call themselves socialists, because didn't Jesus talk about the poor and everything? Mm-hmm. You come over here, and it's the opposite. And then I go back to the Gospels, and I see how ah, political Jesus seems to be. Mm-hmm. He he didn't really comment on um, much going on. He called Herod that fox. Uh, he, he had an opportunity to be with the governor of the entire country, Pilate, and he refused to talk to him. Pilate got Irritated because he wouldn't answer his
2: questions, (laughs) and and
3: you know and uh, Paul uh, He was a little more political he would use the legal system to appeal when he was unjustly accused but neither one of them talked about cleaning up the Roman Empire that was not even on their on their agenda, you know cleaning up the Roman Empire there were terrible things going on in the Roman Empire gladiator games and and the abandonment of infants, where a fourth to a third of all babies were just left. That was their form of birth control. Wild animals, the weather would take them. Jesus didn't talk about that. Paul didn't talk about that. You know, A lot of people, I just read an article the other day that said uh, the only two issues that count to evangelicals are abortion and homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true, that's just the media caricature, but it's, it's odd that those weren't the issues that Jesus and Paul talked about. Yeah they just had a different way of presenting the kingdom of god the, the kingdom of god fortunately can thrive in any kind of environment when you think about it paul could have said okay who should be the next uh, emperor of rome should it be uh, nero or caligula you know <laughs> they, they didn't really have much to work with back then and, and so i love this phrase from martin luther king jr who says uh, Yes, we fight some of these issues. We have to fight for but we use different weapons. We use the weapons of grace yeah. And and jesus when he was dealing with the roman oppressors truly oppressors He said well if a roman soldier asks you to carry his pack one mile offer to carry it too mm-hmm. Love your enemies yeah. pray for those who persecute you boy. That is radical stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is not the way a lot of people judge how christians should be um, interacting with the political environment around us today.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: it's, I mean, it's something that's just challenging to all of us and, and should be challenging. Politics is an adversary sport. Boy, do we see that in the news every day, <laughs> you know, yeah. to try to get the, the Republicans and Democrats to agree on anything, even <laughs> though they both know it's a good idea. Yeah. A they just won't do it. And the gospel is, is a whole different way of approaching society.
0: Philip, I think Sylvia is going to interject yeah. here. And also just a reminder, if those of you came a little later in the broadcast, that you do have a questions tab and uh, would welcome your questions. And I think Sylvia has been interacting with a few. So go ahead, Sylvia. Yes. Yeah, so this one pertains specifically to the
2: current cultural situation we're in and, and you, when you were talking about social justice. So how does the church respond to the gay identified person who claims the church oppresses them for their identity?
3: Well, I would say uh, they're absolutely right. The church has oppressed gay people over the years. And, okay, there's the issue of the moral issue. And, you know, fortunately, I am not in charge of a denomination. I don't have to make <laughs> <laughs> yeah. other denominations. Too, but, you have the privilege uh, you know, a <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm a freelancer, right? Yeah. That's right. But... If you, t- if you talk about the attitude and the way they are treated,
2: mm-hmm.
3: the Bible is very clear there. What do you do with people that you morally disapprove of? You love them. <laughs> you reach out to them. You take care of their needs. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, as a journalist, I had the privilege one full day to spend with Henry Nowen. Some of you have read Henry Nowen's book. You did uh,
1: feature him in your Soul Survivor book.
3: Yes, that's right. And told about that day, I was up at Arche with the uh, you know deeply mentally handicapped people. And this was early in the day of the AIDS crisis. It was actually called the gay men syndrome because at that point, mm, yeah. the CDC, the Communicable Disease Center, had in- identified the strange, scary disease, but it only was occurring among gay men. Mostly in San Francisco, so the church was being rather hysterical and it was uh, you know, Fear-mongering and saying these terrible things. This is God's judgment the plague. They deserve it and Henry now I thought well That's not right. So he flew out to San Francisco and there was an open ward Full of these men all of whom were dying. There was no treatment no cure whatever whatever and he would just go up and down the cots and say I'm a priest and part of my job is to hear people's stories. We call it confession. Would you like to tell me your story? And some would say, get out of here. I don't like the church." you know, but others would tell the stories. And he said again and again, he heard this story of a thirst for love. And he would say, did you find this love that you were thirsting for? They were literally dying, some of them with a thousand sexual partners, thirsting for love. And he, he said, I came back And it changed my prayers. Instead of praying, oh, God, that ungodly person, oh, God, that immoral person, I I would say, God, help me to see that person as a thirsty person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so critical for those of us. The moral issues are very complicated. The church has done a lousy job in general of communicating love to people they morally disapprove of. And that's the one thing we can all agree on.
1: Yeah, it makes me think about. Uh, so the last last month, the webinar we did was on Larry Osborne's book, uh, Accidental Pharisees, which is a, a little bit of a gut punch for the evangelical <laughs> community. Um, about, yeah. I mean, a lot of a gut punch. And a gut
0: punch to myself. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just my own life. But
1: uh, but it made me think about uh, what you're talking about with uh, with now, and made, made me think about uh, the the passage where Jesus is con- condemning the Pharisees, and he's saying, "Hey, you guys love to stand." and offer these lofty prayers and you look down over at these other people and and say oh god i'm i'm grateful i'm not like you know so and so over there which obviously is like man i i think when we're looking at people in that way there's a deficiency in our own soul to recognize our own brokenness our own fallenness our own need for a savior. We're standing in the place of Jesus, which, man, if you're ever doing that, you're in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then but then secondly, it also made me think about the John seven narrative where Jesus is at the uh, feast of tabernacles on the last and greatest day of the feast. And he stands up above the crowd and he, he cries out in a loud voice, like literally says, and he screamed, is anybody thirsty? Mm. If you are, come to me, mm-hmm. you know, which is. He can he says that repeatedly in the Gospels is, is it's not an invitation to a even to a certain type of life um, in an, on an ethical or moral sense. It's an invitation to a person. And, and that's the takeaway that i In listening to you talk about now and as well, where the culture wants to hang out in the, in the mess. Like there's a way where there, Jesus is moving through that. And he's grabbing the person with the love of God. And he's saying, hey, the thing you're thirsting for is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Come to him. And and that's such a crucial truth for us to not only to understand, but to walk in as we engage a world that is far from God. Yeah.
0: Philip, I'd be curious. Let's say you weren't a journalist for a day. You stepped into pastoral shoes and somebody came to you and just said, hey, in light of how Jesus would respond to the current cultural situation, How should I follow him? What are what are ways that um, as believers we should be engaging with this cultural situation, knowing that we're image bearers of of this God that we love so much?
3: Mm. I remember talking one time to Ed Dobson. Ed Dobson was uh, at one point the special assistant to Jerry Falwell. He calls himself a fundamentalist. He went to a very conservative school. And then he became a pastor in in Grand Rapids. He died just recently, had ALS
2: Mm -hmm. for
3: quite a long time. It was was quite a struggle. But when the AIDS crisis hit there, um, here he is, pastor of a Baptist church, and he went to the whatever the gay network was in Grand Rapids and and said, the church has really failed you guys. I I presume you have some needs, how can we help? At first they said, we don't want you, we don't want anything to do with you. He said, I understand that. But we have some resources. We we can help you. I, I know you you've got people who are sick, you've got people who need meals brought to them, and we can do that. And very warily at first, but gradually, they, uh, they they opened their their arms to him and his church people and they started organizing these meals on wheels and things like that. And some of the people in the church change their position on homosexual issues. Some of them did not, but the church saw we, we have done wrong and we are here to serve. You know, I think of, we just went through um, the Lent uh, period in the last week of Jesus' life, and there's that wonderful story in uh, John 13 to 17, Jesus' last hurrah with his disciples, where he's getting across two things that are most important. One is, You lead by serving and he Mm -hmm. washes the feet. Mm -hmm. And that follows, if you look at the harmony of the gospels, that follows a scene where this woman of ill repute, a prostitute, anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and then washed them with her hair. Mm -hmm. It was almost as if Jesus was saying, she got it. None of you got it. You're, You're arguing on who should be the vice president, you know, who should be next in the in line, James and John had this Jewish mother always trying to promote them, you know?
2: <laughs> and, here was this,
3: and here was this prostitute oh, who God. who got it. Yeah. And that's what you're here to do. You lead by serving. And then the other thing he said was, and and the last prayer I have is that you would be one, that you would be known for your unity
2: yeah. as
3: the Father and the Spirit and I are. Mm-hmm. And boy, I look at how we've got, we have a long way to go for, for responding to those last requests of Jesus, to lead by serving, and then to demonstrate unity to the rest of the world.
1: Just to tie bow on this question, Sylvia, we did a webinar actually last fall with one of our members who uh, writes a blog on her post-gay journey. Yeah into Christ likeness. And uh, I would just encourage you guys uh, not only to listen to that, but then go on our webinar page online and, and uh, listen to all the other ones we've done. But definitely would encourage you to listen to that one. It's titled uh, Responding to Same-Sex Issues. But that is, it's such a pressing topic in our culture today. And and it's in it's in desperate need of Christ followers who engage people with the love of God unconditionally and at the same time call them into a Jesus kind of life. Yeah. Um, and, and again, those things are not mutually exclusive. Um, we have to learn by the spirit teaching us how to do that better. Yeah,
0: that's great. So, so let's keep playing the what if game cause I'm enjoying this. And so <laughs> let's just say, uh, Jesus wasn't born 2000 years ago. Let's say Jesus is born now. Uh, and just kind of the question of, if Jesus were walking around now, how would we and we being, I guess, just the, the Christian culture of America, if you could just really broadly think of we in that way, um, how would we receive him if he was walking around today? And so, Nate, I know that you've done some work on this. I don't know if you want to jump in first and then.
1: Yeah, so the know. only thing I would say, and then I'll toss it over to Philip because, I mean, he's probably got a lot better ideas on this than me. But um, uh, I, I think Jesus is would be just as, if not more, revolutionary today than he was 2000 years ago. I think I think it would be a wake-up call for for the Christian church to uh, one see ways that we have in a positive sense have accurately uh, viewed him and followed him and then I think there would be some gaping holes where he shows up and all of a sudden the things Those sacred cows, if you want to call them that, that we've held on to and have become identifiers for us, I think, you know, I don't know. I'm just be blunt about it. I think Jesus would walk straight up to those things and just kill them. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, But, Philip, what what do you think, man?
3: While you were asking the question, before I get to the Christian part, I was thinking of how the media would respond to Jesus. We can answer that, too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's interesting. In some ways, I think they would be fascinated by him because he just just doesn't fit the mold. And, you know, I've been in these green rooms and the makeup people come in and, you know, they... Give you a different tie because the, the last one causes problems with the camera and all this kind of stuff. And, and you got two minutes uh, to do your little sound bite. And meanwhile, they're playing these commercials. I remember uh, hearing Mother Teresa talk about she was she was in a green room waiting to be on the Today Show or one of those shows, and they had uh, one ad after another about how to lose weight. You know, <laughs> Uh, this exercise plan or whatever, and she's she's trying to feed people. She's trying to keep them alive. They're starving. <laughs>
2: and, you know, um,
3: um, we just, this is the background we live in, these yeah. terrible ironies going on in the world. And and Jesus doesn't let those things go. He's going to point them out, and he's the threat. So I, I think we would probably do to him what they did to him in his day. Yeah. We'd kill him. Yeah. We, you know, what happened to Gandhi? What happened to Martin Luther King? What happened to Malcolm X? Anybody who doesn't fit the system, we, they're a great threat. Mm-hmm. And of course, as we know, Jesus was clear about this. He, he came to die. He knew he was going to die. Yeah. And I was just reflecting on this in an Easter blog I wrote. And I, I said, it's kind of like blowing on a dandelion you don't kill the dandelion, you set it loose, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was just out picking dandelions in my yard. The one I missed last year is now a hundred. <laughs> you know? right, yeah. and, and that's the way that, that's what Jesus had in mind in the beginning. Yeah. So um, I think he would be a threat to uh, certainly the culture, American, it's a celebrity culture, it's a mm. materialist culture, definitely be a threat there. And he would be a threat to our churches too because he was a radical and our churches in contrast to some other places i've been our churches are their institutions you know they got big buildings they got budgets they got committees and I, I don't know how jesus how he would fit in there what he would think about it but he would be a threat
1: for sure yeah there's the old story I, this is in uh, i don't even know who to attribute it to so take it for a grain of salt but the point is taken so this uh the guy comes from Um, underdeveloped country where they don't have all the resources. He comes to America and his friend tours him around, you know, all these mega churches and, you know, stuff like that. And, and uh, at the end of his time, the guy doesn't say a whole lot. And then at the end of the time, he's like, well, you know, what did you think about all this stuff? And, the guy ends up quipping. He's like, well, I'm, I'm amazed at, at how much you can do without Jesus. Dagger. There is something to be said of like, Hey, and, and look, I'm, I'm not going to disstructure sure. And because I do think that there, there is a, a trellis that's needed for vine growth to really take place. But but I do think that as we are, are talking about this, there, there does need to be some self-examination to ask these hard questions. Hey, how would I have responded to Jesus? And, and I think that when I look at myself in the mirror and take an honest look at that question, a lot of times I don't like what I see. Mm. Um, a lot of times we, we can get so wrapped up in our doctrinal orthodoxy in standing for, you know, the reliability of scripture for these, these things that are, and those are important. But again, like we talked about on another webinar, those are not essential. Essential, And and so we, we end up uh, mistaking things for God himself. And, and so um, I would just encourage everybody who's listening as I'm encouraging myself right now, uh, read through the gospels, encounter Jesus, the risen Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and and ask the questions like, hey, what are those areas of my life that that uh, if you were here, um, you would either one come under and support and and uh, and really deploy. And then what are those other areas that man, those things just need to die? So.
0: It's good yeah it's good so in the uh one of the main contributors to my theology is the show scrubs and so um <laughs> and there's, this, uh, there's this funny episode where there's basically three vignettes in the episode and there's three people in each of the three vignettes and and one person is heading towards trouble and the other person is trying to stop them and then they finally need a third person to intervene and stop the person and and so the, so the middle person goes to them and go, what how did you know what to say or what to do to stop this person? And all three vignettes in the same way with them going, because I know him, because I know him, because I know her. I mean, they just come back to that. And I think um, that, yeah. vignette, that story comes back to me over and over again, because I think about um, sort of as we're talking about this image of Jesus, so many times people describe him and then you ask the question, well, how do you know that? And I think mm-hmm. people go, well, how, because I know him. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, to bring this back to just um, – you know, Philip, as you talked about your your image of Jesus from, uh, you know, sort of going from this childhood upbringing in a in, a, in a more fundamentalist group to now writing, you know, a bestseller in The Jesus I Never Knew. How do we recover a more accurate image of Jesus? How do we get to the point where we go, well, because I know him. I, I know him. I know what he's really like. So how, how do we do that?
3: In the book, I talk about an exercise I went through. I was teaching a class. I think you've had classes like that in, in your own church. And I I decided to start with movie portrayals of Jesus. And the way I ran the class was I would uh, I would make copies, Xerox copies of the passage of the day. Um, don't tell anybody because I'm not sure I wrote for copyright permission. Or anyway. uh, we, may, we may or may not have done that. <laughs> okay. And then I would, uh, so everybody's got the Bible in front of them and everybody has these preconceptions. Then I would show maybe five clips from movies. I had, I had a, a whole drawer full of this is back in the vhs days you know and I had a whole, a whole drawer full of these movies and I choose four that were radically different portrayals of whatever scene I was talking about and then I would, I'd pop one in and I pop the other one in and I'd say what do you think who, who got it right pop the third one in pop the fourth one in and by the end nobody knew what happened <laughs> now, let's, uh, now let's look at what the Bible says and we had kind of cleaned away our biases, you know, our preconceptions. Mm -hmm. And I, how do I do that today? Well, I would recommend finding a a really kind of funky version of the Bible. The Message, for example, would be one, or I don't know if it's even still around, but when I was young in my faith, the Cotton Patch version of the Gospels, (laughs) that really radical translation, that takes the story and kind of put, Cotton Patch would put it in modern context. So instead of the good Samaritan on the way to Jericho was between Jonesboro and Atlanta, Georgia. And the Samaritan was a black man helping a white man, you know, that kind of thing. And um, yeah. So thanks to now, obviously there's some people who weren't raised in the church. So you you come at it without those biases, which is great. Just read the Bible straight, you know, you (laughs) know. (laughs)
2: Um,
3: you don't have to do through that, go through that. But I, I like to be pushed. I like to be stretched. So I go to people who I'm not like, but I that bother me, and I need to learn from people like radicals, people like Shane Claiborne mm. in Philadelphia, lives in the inner city on almost nothing, a total pacifist. You know, I am not these things, but he does it because he's following Jesus. So I think I gotta listen to what he says. Right. Or not too far away from him, there's a group of Hotarians uh, and these are like Mennonites on steroids. You know, they <laughs> they they all live in community and and they're really devout and they're total pacifists. And I, I learn from these people because they're dealing with the same, they, they are that way because they believe Jesus wants them to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you remember, for a while, there are a lot, a lot of people wearing these WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Yeah,
2: and i still wear them. <laughs> I never,
3: I never wore, I never wore one of those because I, I'll I think that's,
2: <laughs> I think
3: that's the wrong, uh, the wrong question.
2: Uh, to
3: me, the question is, what would Jesus want me to do? Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, Jesus was a radical. He was a prophet. He never married. Yeah. He didn't own anything. Um, he spoke in uh, hyperbole. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I should do all those things. Right, yeah. right. But because he lived, I need to live differently. Okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I mean, the Apostle Paul didn't live like Jesus. Hmm. Some of the disciples had, had wives were very different. Hmm. But because of Jesus, I have to examine all of those things and say, okay, he told me, he came to tell me what God is like, and he came to tell me what we should be like. Or what, So how, what should, how should I respond? How should I be? What would Jesus have me
0: do? One of the, I remember just, I didn't really grow up in the church. And so in some ways I had a little bit of a clean slate of Jesus, but in other ways, the culture taught me a lot about Jesus growing up in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And Bible Belt. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, as a, as a young woman, what I learned about Jesus and how men and women relate was not always positive (laughs) and certainly not in accord with uh, what I would want in, in a savior that I was following. And I remember there just being a very poignant moment reading John four and seeing, um, Jesus' interaction with that woman at the well and, and just going, I think, I think that my idea of how Jesus feels about women or how men should feel about women maybe has been shaped more by cultural attachments than by, by the Savior himself. And so for me, that was such a vivid moment of sort of relearning what Jesus was like. And just fill up in your own life, was there a moment, something you learned as a child um, about God that maybe Jesus corrected or about about Jesus that I mean, just as you got to know him in your journalistic ways that you just thought, okay, that's really refreshing to know it's not like that.
3: Yes. Um, When people say, okay, you grew up in this, I call it a toxic church that gave you all these bad images. So how do you get out of that? How do you recover from that? And. The story is that I was taught by all the people around me that I was a rebel. I had a terrible heart and God was going to smash me. God was going to break me. Mm. So, you know, for a rebel, you just, yeah, okay, I'll just get tough. Let him try. Let him try. (laughs) And, you know, just steeled myself. And exactly the opposite happened. I I say uh, the things that brought me back to God were these three things, the beauties of nature, classical music and romantic love. And those things convinced me that the church had lied to me, that God was not this angry, smashing cop trying to kill people. You know, Uh, God was an artist who wanted to give us these beautiful gifts that I was experiencing. And and as I experienced them, I wanted to know that artist. Mm -hmm. I came across this quote from G.K. Chesterton that said, The worst moment for an atheist is when he has a deep sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. And that's how I felt. I was feeling the gratitude and I had no one to to thank. And if you go back and just read the Gospels, Jesus was, he was a live human being who's walking in a real world and his stories are brilliant. I've tried to write parables. You can write one or two and then you run out of ideas. I mean, they are hard. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus did like 36 of them without even thinking, you know, somebody asked him a question. Well, let me tell you a story. And what are the stories? They're stories of, of eating dinner and, and a wedding banquet and and uh, shepherds and growing crops and, you know, just life. Jesus was, was a life giver, a life giver. Mm-hmm. And the church I grew up in seemed to be a life shrinker. Mm-hmm. And and so it was that hinge moment of realizing that that God is not the enemy. (laughs) I'm my own enemy. God is a God of grace who has lavished this world with beauty, with love, with these great gifts. And he wants us to enjoy them, to thrive in the midst of them. And he has some ideas about the best way to do that. You know, those are called the laws. And I've concluded he's right about all of those things. Uh, So I, I learned them. But the, the key thing was that image of God. And I love this phrase. It's in the book of Hebrews, I think, that Jesus is the exact image of the inexpressible God. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. There's
3: no way we can get our minds around God. We can't visualize God. He's forbidden us to do any graven images. But he gave us a human being. He gave us somebody like us that we could relate to. Oh, that's what God is like.
2: Yeah.
3: And this phrase from a British bishop a couple of centuries ago, he said, and God is no unchrist likeness at all
2: mm-hmm.
3: which is just a fancy Anglican way of saying if you want to know what God is like look at Jesus yeah. Yes, yeah. and if your image of God does not match what you see in Jesus you need to you need a new image you've got it wrong
0: yeah that's it. great
1: as we tie this up and talk about some implications for all of this One of the passages in the Gospels that's meant an enormous amount to me and I meditate on it and I'm like, yeah, I think it'll probably I'll be on my deathbed, Lord willing, in a long time. Still wondering about this. (laughs) But the crazy thing about studying the life of Jesus, as I've been a student of Jesus now for a while, um, is that there's the contextual and the background study that help us understand his life and why he was responding in some of the ways that that Philip was talking about in his context, you know, why did he overturn tables? Why did he, you know, what was the background to all of that? So it's kind of like, Hey, you need to kind of understand this stuff in order to put the actor on the stage. But then it, it dawns on you at some point that uh, when Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew 28, right. Which a lot of people look at and say, Oh man, that's, that's kind of his marching orders for us. we got to get busy for Jesus. You know, this some, a lot of times when I see it, it's like this neurotic thing. It's weird. But uh, to go make disciples. And and uh, and yet you see all saturated through Scripture. You see this phrase that Yahweh tells to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, you will be my people. I will be your God and I will dwell with you. So Moses encounters uh, Yahweh through the burning bush and, and Yahweh sends him to Egypt and he says, but I will be with you. Jeremiah, he commissions to speak against Israel right. and Jeremiah balks at him. And he's like, no, I will be with you. Like there's this sense of God is doing what God is doing and he's using us um, to uh, participate with him. And that's what's so crazy when Jesus hits <laughs> the scene and he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I am with you. right? Always. I'm with you always. Mm-hmm. To the end of the age. And th- this is the crazy thing that, you know, blows my mind. Um, and and you, you mentioned you alluded to it a little bit before when you talked about John 17, Philip. But John 17, the, the chapter ends with these two verses. He says Jesus is praying to the father right before he goes to the cross. He says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. Hmm. And then this is the crazy part, as if that's not crazy <laughs> enough, right? Not only is the love of God in them, but that I myself may be in them. And the look, the beauty of the gospel is that we are rebellious traitors who, through the love of God and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus have been made sons and daughters again. And not only sons and daughters, but sons and daughters who are indwelt by the presence of Jesus. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what in the world? That is crazy. And so in a lot of ways, it's like, hey, Jesus is still, not in a lot of ways, in every way, Jesus is still alive. Yeah. He's still moving. He's, he's yeah. dwelling people. He's empowering them to live the, the kind of life that, he's, um, that he lived and to do so as little Christ's. Um, who permeate the world. So um, uh, I, that was just a, a thought that I had. Philip, any any last thoughts before we? Yes, I. You know, a lot of
3: people have the idea. You played football. A lot of people have the idea that the uh, the story in the Bible is a bit like a football team. So they try the pass and that doesn't work, keeps getting intercepted. So then they turn to the run, that doesn't work. So they punt, you know? (laughs) And uh, So God the Father tried this with the nation of Israel. I guess that didn't work out so well. So I'll send my son. Oh no, they killed him. Now what i am gonna do? Oh, there's the Holy Spirit, you know? (laughs) Um, Actually, the whole thing was planned from the beginning. I about that. And, And look at each of those stages, a God who, who not even Moses could stand toe to toe with. You know, he'd come out glowing and everybody would faint. I can't look at you. Mm -hmm. Very few could relate to to God, Yahweh. And then Jesus came and you could talk to him. You could argue with him. You could kill him, you Mm -hmm. could crucify him. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, you could you could get a picture of what God is like the most important message. And Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm really not leaving. Mm -hmm. I'm in you. And it's called the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Christ. Exactly what you said. I'm not going away. In fact, I'm coming closer than I've ever been before. I will be inside you and we're called the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not here anymore Mm -hmm. in flesh on earth, but Jesus is here. And he's here in us and it's up to us to look like Jesus.
1: I love it. I, I love, love it. it. Well, Philip, thank you for your time, man. I, yeah, I wish I wish we had a few more hours for yeah. you to <laughs> unpack all of it. I could uh, be here for a while, but just a reminder, our next uh, webinar is, Sylvia, I always do this to you.
2: I know, and um, I always stall a little bit, but then I get ready and ne- I can say it's May 12th. Our <laughs> next
1: <laughs> webinar is May the 12th. Our guest is going to be uh, Dr. Russell Moore, who's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission with the Southern Baptist Convention. The, the liberal the re- Southern Baptist. Yeah, the liberal Convention. church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, I would encourage you guys. That registration is open. You can register for that now. Philip, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate. Absolutely, uh, it was fun. it been an hour talking about Jesus with you uh, Right. Hey, everybody. You guys have a good rest of the day, and we'll see you next time.